This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It is Thursday, 9th of March, 2023. Markets uh, sort of pausing after the big move the prior day because, of course, of Tuesday's rhetoric from Fed Chair Powell and that testimony before a Senate panel in which he's indicating this willingness to reaccelerate the pace of Fed rate hikes in meetings from here if the data is uh, sufficiently or if the data warrants doing so. And that cues up the incoming data being in the driver's seat, as we should all know, uh, meaning that uh, yesterday didn't add much more. Uh, Testimony-wise, we're waiting for those incoming data points, starting with the U.S. jobs report tomorrow and the CPI data point next week. We got a little bit of the um, uh, of, of data yesterday. Jolt's job openings quite firm. Um, maybe adding a bit on the margin as well as an ADP that was a bit more than expected, 240-plus on the payrolls growth for February. So we we have this uh, sense that uh, if the data gives the Fed an excuse to do so, they are certainly ready to hike 50 basis points. Uh, markets fairly steady, Peter. We saw an equity market that just about like everywhere else was was sort of pausing here, waiting for uh, the next uh, you know, the next shooter drop, I guess, in terms of data. Yeah, it was a very low energy session to say the least. We bounced back a little bit in the in the S and P five hundred futures, zero point one percent. And today we it's a little bit wobbling. Um, I think if we if we take down or take out the the, the intraday lows from yesterday, and we we could we could move down to the thirty nine. 50-ish. That's also where the 200-day moving average is coming in. So that's the downside area probably to watch out for. And but otherwise, it's a, it's a low energy market. It is. We are back in back to wait and see for all the reasons you just mentioned. If we look across the the theme baskets overview here, we can see that the yesterday's session was particularly positive for the semiconductors. And if you look at the year to date, our semi semiconductor basket is up 17.2 percent. It's the third best basket this uh, this year so a lot of positive vibes coming out of the semiconductors despite i wouldn't call it a challenging outlook because i think the underlying demand outlook is extremely strong it's just the it's the you know the environment the regulatory environment around it a big news coming out from the dutch government about uh, you know export restrictions to china on uh, lithography machines but we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to the stocks uh, to watch and then also if you look at the session yesterday uh, luxury and, and our Chinese consumer and technology basket, uh, both were down together with the EM. So it seems like there is a, you know, maybe a creeping uh, positive collation coming in there between uh, the moves in luxury stocks and, and Chinese consumer technology. We're still waiting, I think, for the, I won't call it the big bang, but, you know, the big move. More, a more considerable move in 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 Chinese related assets. It's it's you know everyone is looking at the reopening, but the, uh, it's, it hasn't really gotten anything. It hasn't really picked up speed yet, at least in the in the equity market. Yeah, and yes, we're waiting in many places. We've talked a little bit about the metals front, and we've seen copper dipping as well here lately, and, and silver, etc. Uh, if we look uh, look at FX, uh, same sort of story. So the big move off the back of the Powell, uh, Powell rhetoric on Tuesday. I, I picked cable today, so sterling versus the dollar, and showed it on slide three. Important levels because we've tested that low from early in the year and actually traded slightly below it, opening up a considerable chart territory below there if we do see some follow-through in U.S. rates and, and I would argue as well some risk off. Yesterday we saw the Bank of Canada fully confirming its uh, prior guidance, which was to to guide for a pause, and I did pause yesterday uh, no rate hike and kept their guidance forward guidance unchanged theoretically uh, with the potential to hike further 
though clearly looking for reasons to assess and, and wait and see here on the impact into the economy. They're seeing some signs of softness, even though they do see the the inflation side as, as still a concern. They, they are forecasting inflation to drop to mid-3% this year. And Canada is supremely sensitive to the interest rate rises, at least in terms of private balance sheet exposure in Canada to the mortgage market. That's where most of the, the private debt lies. And if you look at you know the mix of that, so Canadian mortgages are financed on a 25-year basis, but within that, there's a five-year rolling period. So the, the rate is only fixed for five years before you roll into the whatever the current rate is. And people have been rolling down to as low as 0.5% um, in 2021. And, and in 2022, that started rising. And now we're at, let's call it 3.5% plus uh, for just the Canadian government yield. Of course, mortgages, there's a credit spread on top of that. So it's higher than that for uh, the actual mortgage and uh, the the five year roll is happening for those in 2018 when the uh, the yield on the Canadian five year was two percent so a significant bump significant strain for on household budgets and there's even a very significant minority that's not even on these five year rolling basis but is on a floating rate so interesting to see we've mentioned this story with the, the Swedish Krona and with Sweden but also Australia the RBA is very concerned about that the Bank of Canada is clearly concerned about that as well they're a little bit less explicit on discussing the mortgage side uh, relative to the RBA. But I think it's clearly a reason behind what uh, you know wanting to assess the impact of the rate tightening. And of course, in the U- case of the U.S., we have these big cost of living adjustments that have a lot of uh, the U.S. living on much higher income suddenly because it, uh, Social Security payouts adjusted to CPI by almost nine percent this year, t- this time around. Uh, the income brackets, uh, income tax brackets, also adjust relative to that. And yet, people that are sitting on their existing mortgages generally had thirty-year mortgages. They all rolled down during the pandemic years to very low levels, not all of them, but many of them did. And they can just sit on their old, very low 30-year mortgage rates, not even to worry. It's only the net new buyer that has to worry about that. So a very interesting uh, setup and and differentiation across uh, many currencies and countries uh, on the private debt situation linked to these higher rates. And we really need to talk in FX because I think it even can impact um, not just FX, but global but global bond markets and therefore all risk assets. And that is the Bank of Japan tonight. So we have the Bank of Japan meeting. It's, uh, it's Governor Kuroda's final meeting as uh, the governor. We've talked a lot about this. And the question being, does he want to uh, surprise the market once again with some sort of incremental adjustment on the yield curve control policy or otherwise uh, as a uh, sort of as a declaration of success or in, in his swan song before he leaves? next month. Hasn't really indicated that he wants to do so, but uh, he did surprise back in December, if we recall, with a 25 basis point loosening. And in the meantime, there's a titanic pressure building up. We've seen the Bank of Japan having to uh, ironically do massive QE to defend its existing yield cap policy on the 10-year and yield curve control policy. So we've actually essentially added hundreds of billions of, of dollars to global liquidity that the Bank of Japan has with this process. So as they step away, the more they step away and the quicker they step away, the more it's uh, withdrawing that liquidity. And uh, the impact into global bond yields will be significant if they do a larger than expected adjustment out there at the 10-year, or let's say they drop the 10-year and move back to five-year. I don't know what the uh, uh, what they're going to do here, nor does the market, but the market is trying to pre- prepare for this. And we have to be ready for an impact into global yields if they do something more on the dramatic side. To get a sense of where the Bank of Japan, or where the market thinks, or where the market is protecting itself. On uh, slide four, I'm showing, is that, so on the left, that's just the dollar yen, which is backed up to that 200-day moving average, 137 plus. And in the right, just want to show you how, you know, 
excited or, or intense the market is around this, this Bank of Japan event. So the sort of black line that's, that's filled below the line is the one-week implied option volatility on dollar-yen options. Very elevated. was only slightly more elevated back in January because the market was worried after the December surprise. They're worried once again on uh, the potential for a Bank of Japan move. 19% on the implied volatility. That's very elevated. But more interestingly still is the the skew on the options. And that's what I'm showing there with the blue line, which is the 10 delta risk reversal uh, for one week options. And it just shows you with that negative seven and a half reading, it's saying that when you want to buy downside protection in dollar yen, it costs you seven and a half handles or percent more in implied volatility terms than buying uh, dollar yen upside. So clearly the market is concerned, or at least wanting to hedge itself against the risk of something more significant being announced here. We'll have to see what happens. It's a, I think it's a risk not just for the bank of uh, sorry for the yen, but also for global markets uh, if they do surprise on the side of doing more. Uh, you know what, what that looks like. It could be an expansion of yield curve control policy. It could be more forward guidance. But uh, it's going to be an interesting handover process to the new Bank of Japan leadership, and interesting to see what Kuroda comes up with tonight. So be ready for that, even if you're not normally some someone that looks at. Uh, foreign exchange, or of course the yen specifically. All right, Peter, we've had a lot of talk internally here this morning about this uh, ASML story. The ASML, for for those that don't know, is the lithography equipment maker that is at the very highest end for the very highest end chips. It's got essentially a monopoly on this. Uh, what's it called? Ultra deep uh, lithography, Peter. And and yeah, I'll just let you take us uh, through the story because it has huge geopolitical implications. What's going on here as well? Yeah, ASML is a, is a Dutch-based company in lithography machines, as you say, and they pioneered this technology about using ultraviolet light to uh, to carve out the uh, sort of the lanes where the electrons are running in a computer chip. And uh, the most advanced part of that technology is called deep ultraviolet. Um, <clears throat> and that's now being proposed by the Dutch government as uh, with an export restriction on that particular technology and machine going to China and we can only speculate, but the US Chips Act has a very clear objective of, of reshaping and moving semiconductor manufacturing away from China, especially in the in the smaller, you know, five, seven, nine nanomillimeter computer chips. And um, there is there are ways to to circumvent these uh, these restrictions that has always been pointed out in the Bloomberg article this uh, this morning that different companies in China like SenseTime and iFlyTech, which which are using or developing different types of uh, AI capabilities, are circumventing um, restrictions to get a hold on on A100 computer chips from Nvidia. So there's there's a whole tit for tat, there's a whole battle, the game going on here, and um, the Dutch government has so far been reluctant to. Rate, you know, you know, align themselves with the uh, the U.S. Chips Act, but um, they've probably had a, a discussion or two behind the behind the curtain, and now the Dutch government is coming around and uh, is now <clears throat> proposing these these export restrictions. ASML is out saying in their press release that they don't see this having any impact on 2023 guidance, probably because unless the restrictions are taking, um, you know, uh, you know, also hit you know previous orders, but that. That is to be seen, of course, and they say it, it won't impact their long-term growth either. Either um, that I, I think is a little bit of a stretch. Uh, if I re remember correctly, ASML has a 10-15% revenue exposure to to China, if I remember correctly, and 
if you cut them out in terms of providing uh, or you know, doing export to China on, the, on this uh, newest technology, which is where the demand will be in the future, then it's still a, a sizable part of their their business. Other stories to watch in, uh, in our stocks to watch today, ASMA, no, sorry, SMA Solar, which is a German solar equipment maker. So they do uh, inverters, et cetera, for, uh, for solar panels, modules. They're out with a very strong uh, end to the fiscal year 2022, and their fiscal year 2023 outlook is also above the estimate. So shares are up 10%. Demand is extremely strong for for, for solar energy. We have seen that for, for from all the earnings released in, within the industry. And it's in a very sharp contrast to what we observe in the wind turbine industry, which is really being impacted by high prices on, on steel, concrete, cement, uh, copper, uh, etc. So that's uh, that's um, it seems a little bit like the solar industry is uh, is running running uh, away now from the from the wind turbine industry. I think also in many ways solar makes more sense. So you can design it and you can fragment and, and decentralize your electricity grid with solar to a degree you can't do. I think to at least to the same degree with wind turbines, you just need you know improvement in in, in energy storage. But that for that is a longer discussion and for another day. And then I want to highlight John the the retailers because there was a very interesting comment yesterday from from Adidas, and we're seeing that same comment being repeated by Hugo Bus saying that inventories excess inventories are building up faster than anticipated. They say it's also uh, something they see among other retailers. That was the comment from CEO of Adidas that he saw in the US as well. Retailers have a lot of excess inventories, and then we're beginning to see this cycle of significant markdowns, which could hit impact could impact profits and, and margins, of course, for the Q1 earnings releases, which will be out in in late April and, and all of May. So that's something to be aware of if you have exposure to, to retailers that, that we might move into a period now with a significant markdowns. We could help as well on lowering uh, goods inflation and which could maybe be <clears throat> at one point celebrated the market as now we, inflation is turning around. But I will just emphasize here, the key thing going forward this year is keep, keep the attention on the US services inflation and European services inflation. That is what is going to determine where we end on the more steady inflation. Yeah, and then as you're finishing up, I was rolling forward to the next slide, slide six, and looking at the cattle. Uh, financial, so cattle being the, uh, I, I forget the long name, it's the, the Chinese battery maker. That growth is just absolutely staggering. So 2019 revenue top line of $46 billion, um, Chinese uh, yuan. And at, I guess, is that expected for the full financial year through the end of the year, I suppose? Um, around $330 billion for 2022. Uh, just amazing stuff. It, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's a very complicated name, by the way. It's called Contemporary Amperex Technology limited and that's why we <laughs> we shorten it i to like cattle. cattle i like cattle um, better yeah uh, me too uh, it's a uh, it's it's uh, it's short and sweet and it's it's probably <clears throat> i've said it said it before so if we think about you know apple maybe to some extent nvidia being and a microsoft being the crown jewels of uh, of the u.s equity market we have asml being one of the crown jewels of, uh, of europe of europe's industry then for sure the catalyst the crown jewel by fine in china they have a market-leading position in, in lithium-ion batteries, which are uh, used, of course, for electric vehicles and, and energy storage. They also have very interesting technology and patents uh, on sodium uh, batteries, which can you know, remove our need for, for, for lithium. So it's something you and I have been discussing, John, and I'll be talking about it in our upcoming quarterly outlook as well. Cattle is, uh, is the world's largest battery maker. It's a pure play. 
it's uh, it's it's unfortunately it's very difficult to invest in cattle because it's listed in, on an exchange in China that is not accessible for private investors. They're contemplating doing a listing in Switzerland, but we got this news out yesterday in a speech from Xi Jinping where he said that he is very joyful about cattle because of its leading technology, its leading market position. It's a really a prestige company for China. But he's also worried, and he's worried uh, for for two reasons. It's a very cryptic message. So one of the, his worries is that you know we have you have all this growth and 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 everything looks fine, but then it will come down very fast and it will fragment. So China won't be able or cattle won't be able to hold the leading position because the, the West will be envy. So one worry. The other worry is, and that's something that is ongoing. That cattle has just made a very big technology partnership with Ford in uh, around a battery manufacturing plant in uh, in Michigan. And that right now is being put on hold because Chinese regulators and the government is, is a little bit worried. They they want uh, they want a little bit more confident confidence in that deal is not going to be something where the technology will slip out of cattle and you know flow into to the US. So you see the the whole trade war and the tension between the US and China, it goes both ways in terms of being par- paranoid about uh, you know technology uh, theft. So um but cattle it's expected to report sometime after the uh, the Chinese market close, and uh, we will follow up on uh, on that uh, in uh, in tomorrow's podcast. Yeah, it's a very interesting story, and yeah, the idea of a, a Chinese company setting up a massive manufacturing facility for its a crown jewel company in the U.S. in this environment just it just it just seems odd. So let's let's see how that uh, goes forward if it goes forward. All right, so macro calendar, the next slide, slide seven. Uh, minor stuff until we get later in the session. We've got a, a 30-year T-bond auction out of the U.S. Uh, on that note, interesting to note that yesterday's tenure was rather weak. So three-year people are happy to buy at the shorter end of the curve if we're supposed to uh, develop a narrative on this week's auctions. The three-year was very strong, even in the context of the big shock to rates as as Fed Chair Powell was speaking on Tuesday. Yesterday, that tenure was, was, was somewhat weak. And will the 30-year be even weaker? Uh, let's see. But um, we have that up, and then we have, again, the Bank of Japan meeting overnight. And let's just remember where we are with the Japanese rates and how far behind we are. I mean, we're talking about a 10-year yield that is capped at 50 basis points when you have uh, the U.S. yield at 400 basis points. Even uh, Europe is at uh, 275-ish, and the policy rate of minus 10 basis points still when you're talking about the ECB this year going to potentially 4%. There is a lot of wood to chop for the Bank of Japan. How much of that wood do they want to chop? Uh, it's it's going to be a critical question if if they ever get to, uh, or how much of this tightening they get to by the time that we're already peaking for the cycle and worrying about a, a global recession at some point. But um, uh, there's plenty of tension built up at these levels, and it'll get only worse if, for example, we get those hot U.S. data points and uh, we see the, the Fed adjusted higher still for its peak rate for the cycle. Uh, after after the next few data points. So critical one there. Pay attention. Keep it on your radar. Be careful out there. And we will be back tomorrow with the Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com.